Let's pray and ask God to speak to us as we come to look at this part of the Bible. Father, this part of the Bible is maybe familiar to many of us. Maybe it's one of those things that we've looked at before. But yet, even through its familiarity, you want to speak to us, perhaps to remind us of things that we've forgotten, perhaps to teach us new things. But Lord, we do pray that tonight you would speak to us. Take these written words that are recorded for us. Take these spoken words that I will speak, and by your Spirit, speak to your hearts and minds. Lord, speak to us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The number 26.2, does that mean anything to any of you? 26.2? Some of you, it does. Lord, assault, it definitely means something to her. 26.2 is the number of miles in a marathon. A marathon is 26.2 miles. Can you imagine running that distance? Yeah, Laura can. All too too soon, yeah. I can personally not imagine running that distance. I don't think I could run for 2.6 miles at the minute, never mind 26.2 miles. But you can imagine what it's like, how grueling it is, how painful it is, the, the, the mental barriers you go through, the physical barriers you go through. You can imagine the absolute agony at times that it takes to run 26.0 miles. But I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine someone running this marathon and they pass mile one and they see it and they pass mile two and they see it. The big markers would say how many miles are completed. And I want you to imagine that they pass mile 26. There's 0.2 miles left and they decide they're not going to finish the race. They pass mile 26 and, and they can see the finish line. It's just there. And what they decide to do is actually to say, do you know what, I'm, I'm not going to finish it. Instead, I'm just going to walk back to the car. It's almost unthinkable, isn't it? And yet here in Numbers 13 and 14, this is exactly what is happening. Uh, it may feel like a marathon when we started the book of Genesis back in September to now, but it felt a lot longer for the people involved in those stories. And if you remember in Genesis chapter 12, God gave the people a promise. What did he promise to Abraham? He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you the father of many people. I'm going to make you the father of a nation. I'm going to give you descendants. That's part of the promise. And I'm going to bless them. And how am I going to bless them? In lots of ways. But one of the ways I'm going to bless them is I'm going to give them a land. I'm going to give them the land of the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. I am going to give them this wonderful land that's flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to bring them in and I'm going to give them that as their inheritance. And they're going to be my people and enjoy peace in that land. What a fantastic promise was given back in Genesis chapter 12. But as you know, as you've seen over the past months, it has been a marathon journey for the people of God. They ended up in Egypt, do you remember? And they were slaves there. And and they were under this oppression and they were there for hundreds of years. And in that time, they became this huge nation. And then what did God do? Miraculously, he saved them. He, He sent the plagues on Egypt. And Pharaoh finally says, okay, get out. 
And, and they were leaving, and on their way out, they got to the, the border of the Red Sea, and the Egyptians decided that they were going to come after them, and they changed their mind. They were going to take them back to Egypt, and what did God do? He split the Red Sea, and, and they walked through on dry land, and then they were in the wilderness, and, and they were starving, and they were grumbling. But what did God do? He sent quail for them to eat, and He sent manna for them to eat, and they were thirsty, and what did God do? He provided, he provided water for them. This has been a, a marathon journey. It has been hundreds and hundreds of years since the promise was given to Abraham. And a book of numbers, they're, they're brought down. God, God moves, and he brings them down to, to, the, to the place Paran, and, and it's just on the edge of the land of Canaan. The finish line's in sight. The border's there. They're, they're right there. They can smell the smells of Canaan, if you like. They're that close. It's time for them to go in. God's brought them to this point where they're finally going to be able to go in and take the land. But what does God say? Well, he tells them that they, they're to go and they're to, to, to send spies in and to do some reconnaissance work. Uh, I was part of the CCF, the Combined Cadet Force, and we would do little recce's, you know, you had this pretend battle that you were going to fight, and, and you'd send guys out, and they'd come back and say, okay, there's, there's some people in the forest with guns and all of this stuff. They, they did, you do a recce, and that's just normal in military practice. If you're going to take a land, if you're going to, to, to be involved in a military operation, you go and you do a recce. And God, well, he tells the people that they're allowed to go and do one. In Deuteronomy, we find that was a request of the people. Let's go see the land. Let's go spy it out. Let's go make sure we know what we're doing when we go in. And God almost maybe reluctantly, because he's going to give them the land anyway, he, he tells them that they can go in and do this wreck. Eh? They're going to take the land, but they're going to go check it out first. And you see that in verses 13 to 14. So the people did request it. We find that from Deuteronomy. But then the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its inhabitants, one of its leaders. Now, there's something I want you to notice here. There's something very, very important that you could easily miss. And it's what God says in verse 2. He says, yes, send some men to explore the land. But he says, but, but know that I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, you can, you can send men out and they can check out the cities and they can check out the lands. They can do all that they want. They can do that whole reconnaissance thing. But ultimately, I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to give you the land. I promised I was going to. I promised it to Abraham. I've brought you right to the edge of the land. And what I want you to know is that even though you're going to go in and scout the place out and you're allowed to do that, just remember that it's me who's going to give it to you. I'm going to fight your battles. I'm going to bring down the walls. I am going to give you the land. I'm going to do it, God says. I'm going to give you it. But the people, well, they're allowed to go in and do their recce. They're allowed to go in and, and see what it's like. Uh, and so Moses, he gives them some instructions. And you see those in verses 17 through to 20. What does Moses say? Well, Moses sent them to explore Canaan. He said, go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. See what he wants them to check out. 
How's the land? Is, is it as good as, as God promised? Is it, is it this wonderful land flowing with milk and honey? Just come back and, and tell us all about it. We're excited to hear about the land. But we are going to have to fight, guys. You know, we, we are going to have to go in and, and wage a military campaign here. So, so go and find out, you know, what are the people like? Are they big or small? Are they powerful or weak? What are the cities like? Are they, are they big or small? What are the walls like? Are they high? Are they wide? He sends them to get all of this information so that they know what to expect, so that they know what they're going into whenever they go into the land. Um, I enjoy boxing. Last night, Tyson Fury was fighting and, and Josh Warrington. Um, and one of the things that boxers do is that whenever they're, they're signed up for a fight, they watch videotapes of their opponents, and they learn what their opponents are like. They learn how they box. They, they learn their stance. They learn their movements. They learn their, their, their kind of fitness. They, they do all of this study in preparation for going in. But do you know what has never happened in the history of boxing? What has never happened is that a fighter, having been signed up for a fight, watches a video and then turns around to the promoter and says, I'm not fighting him. That doesn't happen, does it? You see, the battle has already been set. The boxing date has already been agreed. The promotion has already been done. Both men have signed up for the battle. And they're simply watching the video so that they're prepared for when they go into the ring. And here it's just like this. There's not really a choice here. God has said he's going to give them the land. God is commanding them to go in. It, it, it's not one of these things that's meant to be up for debate. This reke is simply to give them an idea of what they're going to face. But ultimately, they're not meant to be coming up with a recommendation of whether they go into the ring or not. They're meant to go in. God has called them to go in. And God's told them, I'm going to give you the land. Anyway, they go into the land. Verse 21. So they went up and explored the land. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Now, that's interesting. They returned. These 12 men from the Israelites, who would have been the enemies of the people in the land, they go in and they can roam around this land for 40 days and all 12 come back. They haven't been attacked. They haven't been killed. They've been kept safe the whole 40 days. Not a problem they faced. Not one problem. But they come back, and then they give the report. Verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. So do you see what they did there? They, they went and they showed everybody the fruit. Hey, look at this. Look at these big ripe grapes. Delicious. But then look who they speak to. They speak to Moses next. They go privately to Moses. That, that's who'd sent them out. And if you have a look at verse 27, you'll see what they say there. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruits. See what they say there? First of all, I've got great news. We've got brilliant news. The land is exactly what God said it was like. It's rich it's fertile. This idea of, of the picture language is overflowing with milk and honey. It's like the milk is like oozing out of the udders of the cows. There's so much in these big cows. And, and, and it's like the honey is just dripping out of the beehives. 
It's overflowing, it's abundant, it's, it's wonderful, there's lots of fruit and vegetables and, and it's fantastic. It's just like God said it was. It's even better than God said it was. It's, it's wonderful. Good news. What God said is true. But then they give them the bad news. And the bad news is in verse 28. Have a look there. So the good news, it is overflowing with milk and honey, and here's the food. The bad news, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. You see the people living in the land? They do weights. (laughs) You see the people living in the land? They're big lads. And you see the cities? They're, well, they're big. And you see the walls that we're going to have to try to get over around? They're huge. Big people. Big cities. Big walls. It's really interesting whenever you look at the archaeology of the land of Canaan from this time, the report's really accurate. They were huge cities. Some of these cities held 40,000 people, which today doesn't sound like much, but in that world, that was a huge city. And as for the walls being big, again, archaeology has shown us that some of these ancient cities had walls which were about 20 foot wide, never mind high. This is an accurate report. I don't know what the genetics were like, but I can't imagine they were saying they were big lads if they weren't. It's a true report. They're big. The cities are big. The walls are big. They're big lads. Big cities. It's not going to be easy. And then if you look at verse 29, they also say that everywhere is inhabited. There's nowhere they're going to be able to go without a fight. They're not going to be able to take any land without a fight. Because look at verse 29, the, Amalekite, the Amal- Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. There are people everywhere in this land. Anywhere we go, whatever city we decide to take, whatever part of the land we enter, we're going to face opposition. It is a fully occupied land. They come back, and, and this is the report they give to Moses. And all 12 spies agree with this because these are the facts. This is the reality that they saw. This is not a made-up account. This is what they saw. This was the reality in front of them. If they go into the land, yep, fertile, good, beautiful, wonderful, but big lads, big cities, big walls. This is the reality of what they saw. No one disagrees about this. This was the reality of it. But what they disagree about is what they should do. And what I think is interesting here is that they were never asked what they thought they should do. They were never asked to come back with a recommendation. Moses didn't say, go into the land, then come back and tell us whether you think we should go in or not. No, they, were, they had to go in. This is what God was calling them to do. No matter how big the lads were, how wide the walls were, how huge the cities were, they were meant to go into the land because God had promised to give it to them. But when they come back, 10 of the spies say, we can't go in there. We, we can't go in there, Moses. They, they're... Honestly, they're huge. We're like, we're like we grasshoppers compared to them. 
We're going to get annihilated if we go in there. Moses, we, we cannot go in there. We cannot go in. Have a look at verse 31. But the men who had gone up with Caleb, that's the one who said we should go in in verse 30, they said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. So some of them say, we, we can't go in. They're too big. But then you have some who say they can. In verse 30, we see one of these men, Caleb. Have a look at verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. They're split. Do you see this? The 12 men who go in, they see exactly the same things. And yet the action they think they should take is different. Two of them say, let's go, let's do it. And 10 of them say, let's not. The start of the 20th century, um, uh, there was a shoe company. They were wanting to expand their business internationally. And so they sent a, a scout out to Africa to see if there was any potential for business there. And uh, the, the man who went out to scout out the business for the company just t- sent the telegram and says, no point coming here. Nobody wears shoes. No potential here. They don't wear shoes in this part of the world. Two weeks later, uh, another man from a different company did exactly the same thing, and he sent back a telegram. They don't wear shoes here. It is an untapped market. I see potential for seals everywhere. We're going to be millionaires. They see the same things, but they see them differently. But here's the thing. This wasn't meant to be a debate. God's people were not asked to make a decision if they were going to go in or not go in. God had simply told them he was going to give them the land, and out of kindness he let them go in to have a look at it before they went in blind. They weren't meant to make this decision. And Moses, he, he obviously would have sided with God and would be saying, well, listen, lads, what can you do? You know, I can imagine in the back room, so, listen, I hear your point, but we're going in because God said we're going in. But what do the ten do? Well, they leak a document. They leak an exaggerated document, not to the media, well, maybe to the media of the, of the people that had that set up, but they leak a document to the people. They write a report. You know the report they gave to Moses? Well, they rewrite that report, and they just exaggerate everything a little bit differently. And then what they do is they, they just spread that around the camp. They get it out to the gossips, and suddenly the, the word all spreads. They tell the people that it's awful and they're going to get eaten up. Have a look at verse 32. You'll see that. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land that we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anna come from the Nephilim. Grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked like grasshoppers, the same to them. See what they do? First of all, they they lie about the land. I mean, they've come back with grapes. You know, they've come back with some of the fruit. And what do they say about the land? The land we explored devours those living in it. The people living in it, they can't even live off the land. There's not enough food for them. It devours them. And then what do they say? Well, the people are of great size, and that's true. But then what do they say is, we saw the Nephilim there. If you don't know who the Nephilim are, they're found in the very start of Genesis. And they're these strange kind of beings. They're, 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 they're described as sons of God. 
And they seemed to have been these people who had great strength, seemed to have been giants, and, and certainly had a, an aura about them of being some sort of supernatural beings. And they said, they live in there. The Nephilim are in there. We know the flood would have wiped the Nephilim out. But what do they say? They're in there. They're terrifying. You don't want to go in there. The Nephilim are in there. And this last wee bit's interesting. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. I don't know if you've ever been to Thailand, but they eat grasshoppers there. And what's really interesting is that they used to eat grasshoppers at this time, and the grasshopper was the smallest little snack that you could get. And what they're saying is, listen, you see those people in there, they will eat us up. They will eat us alive. They, they are big and we are small. They, they are going to annihilate us. They leak this report. They leak it out to the community. And as the people listen to it, as they hear this false report, as they hear what these ten spies say, do you know what they do? They trust the spies over God. They trust what the spies say over what God says. Those ten lads who went in there, they say we don't have a chance. They say we're going to get eaten up like the grasshoppers. They say we're going to get annihilated if we go in there. Okay, God says he's going to give us the land, but, but they say we're going to get eaten alive. And they trust these ten men. And they trust what they say. And they reject what God says. And you can see the reaction to the spies' report in verse 2 of 14. Have a look there. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. We're not going in there and it would be better if we never came here. We're not going in there and we're angry that you've brought us here, God. And we're angry that you've brought us here, Moses and Aaron. We are annoyed at where we are just now. This is all your fault. It would have been better if we stayed in Egypt as slaves. Do you see what they've decided? There it is. The finish line is, is just there. On the other side is is glory on the other side is the land that they can live in and enjoy God's blessing in. But having listened to the ten spies over God, they've decided they're not going to finish the race. They're not going to cross the line. Joshua, one of the two, well, he pleads with them. He, he pleads with them to change their mind. He pleads with them to, to cross the line. He pleads with them to keep going. He pleads with them to, to finish the race. Look at verse 6 of 14. Joshua, the son of Nun and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, Joshua, son of Nun and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. They're grieving. They're grieving they're not going to cross the line and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. It's good. It's good like God said it is. It doesn't devour its people. It's a good land. We've seen it. It's just like God said it was. And then look what they say in verse 8. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Listen, God's going to give it to us. Okay, they're big, they've got big walls, they're big lads, big cities, but we have a big God. 
And our big God will fight for us and he'll defeat these enemies and he'll give us the land as he promised. And then look at this for a plea in verse 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Do you see the plea? Look at our God. Look at him. Look how big he is. Look how majestic he is. Look at all he's done for us. Let's trust him and go in. But they don't want to listen to Joshua. The whole assembly, if you have a look at verse 10, what did they do instead? They talked about stoning him. What did they do, these people? They, they decided to let the assessment of 10 men have a greater influence over their actions than the promises of God. They let the false assessment of 10 men have a greater influence over them than the promises of God. And what's God's response? Well, it's not good. It's not good at all. His initial response is, I'm going to destroy them with the plague, Moses, and I'll start again with you, and I'll make you into a great nation, and then I'll bring your descendants into the land. But Moses, what does he do? Well, well, he prays for them. But you can see the, the annoyance of the Lord. Can't you have a look at verse 11 of 14? The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? Do you see what they're refusing to do? They're refusing to believe in him. They're refusing to trust his promises. They're refusing to lean on him. They're refusing to believe in him. How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a great nation, a, greater, a nation greater and stronger than they. But then what does Moses do? Well, he intercedes for them and he asks God to forgive them. And God does. He's not going to destroy them. He, he shows them mercy. He doesn't destroy them. But there are consequences for their rebellion. He shows them grace. He forgives them. But their rebellion, it has consequences. And what the consequences are is that they're, not, never, they're never going to cross the line. These people who rebelled, who, who trusted the man over God, God is never going to let them into the promised land. He's not going to let them see the land flowing with milk and honey. He's not going to let them taste the sweetness of the honey and, and, and taste the, the, the fullness of the milk. Instead, their children will, but they won't. And you see that in verse 20. Have a look there. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And if you read the whole passage, you'll see it's going to go to their children. But these people who decided not to cross the line, they're never going to cross it. They're never going to enter the land. Joshua and Caleb will, but the majority of the people won't. And here's the question that I want us to think about as we finish. And this is probably the most important question. And the question is, what stopped them crossing the line? What was it 
that stopped them going into the land and taking possession of it and enjoying all that God had for them? What was it that stopped them going and taking the land? The answer is very, very simple. The people walked by sight and not by faith. They walked by sight. They walked only by what they could see. And they didn't walk in any way by faith. Whenever they looked at the land, whenever they they saw the cities, the big lads, the big walls, the big cities, that's all they saw. And those things were there, but that was all they saw. They, They didn't look above the hills to the heavens and see the God who created everything. The big men, the big cities, the big walls, but they didn't see the big God. They didn't see the big God. They only saw things with their eyes and not with faith. They they looked at the task ahead of them. They they looked at what the land was like and the people and all of that stuff. And and humanly speaking, it was impossible. They were never going to be able to take this land. And they were right. They wouldn't have been able to by themselves. But with God, with His power, with His strength, with His ability, with His magnitude, they would have been able to. They didn't receive what God had for them because they walked by sight and not by faith. Only two men walked by faith and not by sight. Only Joshua and only Caleb. They saw the big lads. They saw the big cities. They saw the big walls. But they saw a bigger God. They saw a bigger God. With faith, they saw the God who had taken them out of Egypt and struck the Egyptians with plagues. They'd seen a God who could part the Red Sea. They'd seen a God who could provide manna and quail out of nowhere to provide for their needs. They'd seen a God who brought water out of a rock. Joshua and Caleb had seen God at work, and they knew that God was bigger than any city, any wall, any person in the whole land of Canaan. And they knew that if God said he was going to give them the land, he was going to give it to them. Joshua and Caleb, they they walked by faith and not just by sight. And that is the difference between the two. And folks, in the New Testament, we're called to walk like Joshua and Caleb. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that as we see the problems in front of us, which there are many, as we see the dangers that could be ahead, as we see the the issues that are in our family, as we see all of the stuff that makes life difficult, big problems, big worries, big fears, what it means to walk by faith and not just by sight is that while looking at these big problems and big fears and big worries, we at the same time look at the big God. At the same time, we look at the big God with eyes of faith. And what we do whenever we've got all of these big problems and fears and worries in front of us, we trust in the big God's promises. We trust in what the big God has said. We rely on Him. We trust Him to do everything that He's promised to do. 
I don't know about you, but I think it's very easy to be like the 10. Very easy to look at our problems and our fears and our worries and only look at those. And you see, if we do that, we're never going to step into what God has for us. Let me tell you some things that God has promised. He's promised peace. Peace in our most anxious moments. That's a promise of God. Peace in our most anxious of moments. And how do we get that peace? We, we get it by looking to God and trusting Him and relying on Him and speaking to Him and praying to Him. We look to Him with eyes of faith. But He's made us so many other promises. We don't know what to do. We, we don't know what we're going to do. We, we need wisdom. What does He say? He says, ask for it. Ask for wisdom in the book of James and you will receive it. And this is the pattern that we're meant to have in our lives. We're meant to walk not just by sight, not just by the things we see, but at the same time to look at the great big God that we have. I look terrible in sunglasses and hats, but that's different. But sunglasses are great, aren't they? Because we wear them. And everything we see is darkened and and the sun doesn't get in our eyes. and, And we see everything clearly, but we see it through the lens of these glasses, through this dark lens that is protecting our eyes. And in a sense, we we need to put on glasses. Glasses that put God in our vision as we look at the things around us. Guess God-colored glasses, if you like. So as we walk through our life, we walk through life with God at the center of our vision, with God at the forefront of our mind as we face the big worries and the big fears and the big challenges, we look at them remembering that we have a big God. Folks, here's a question. Right now, are you walking by sight and not by faith? Or by faith and not by sight? Are you walking by sight and not by faith? or faith and not by sight. Tonight you're invited to do the latter. Tonight you're invited to to take those glasses and maybe put them on for the first time. Tonight you're invited to, to walk with God through your life and with eyes of faith to see him and to trust in him and to rely on him. There's only one who does this perfectly and it's the Lord Jesus. What did the Father say? You'll be going to the cross, but I'll raise you from the dead. And the Lord Jesus Christ trusted the Father enough to go to Calvary's cross, to have nails driven through his hands and his feet, and to die there trusting that the Father would resurrect him to new life, and he did. There's only one who who perfectly walks by faith and not by sight, and it's none of us. But we're invited to tonight. 